I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You're listening to the Fish Untamed Podcast. Your home for fly fishing the backcountry. All right, welcome to episode number 25 of the Fish Untamed podcast. You may have noticed a bit of a different sound starting off the show today. I decided to play around with the intro and the music a little bit. Um, I feel like I'm enough episodes in now that I'm getting a better feel for what I like. So yeah, I just decided to change that up. Um, the content of the show will still be the same as always. Just wanted a little bit of a different sound at the start. Um, as for today's episode, I got a chance to sit down with Susan Thrasher, who is the author of Thrasher's Fly Fishing Guide, which I know we mentioned a little bit in the show, you know, the release date might be a little bit affected by coronavirus, but as of right now, she's given me word that it should be out on June 9th. So actually, by the time this episode airs, I believe her book should be um, fully out and ready to order. Um, And in this episode, we do talk a bit about her book. Um, It's kind of an all-purpose fly fishing book. You know, if you're a complete beginner, you'll be able to start there from scratch. And if you're more of an intermediate or advanced fisherman, you can still probably get quite a few tips out of it. Um, It's a pretty complete book. Uh, But then we also kind of wanted to have the body of the conversation be a bit about getting the next generation of anglers into fishing. Um, And this could mean children. We do talk about kids specifically and how to get um, kids excited about fishing, but also just, um, you know, teenagers or adults. There's plenty of people out there who've always wanted to try fly fishing and have never gotten the chance. Uh, but it, it feels like there's a bit of a barrier to entry for a lot of people. So um, we talk about how, you know, if you're a new angler, some some ways that uh, you can get into it, some resources you can use. And then also if you are someone who already knows how to fish, but um, you aren't quite sure how to help maybe your friends or your family get into it. Uh, she gives us some tips about how to approach that. Uh, if you're trying to teach your partner versus your kids versus your friends, um, just lots of helpful, helpful tips for bringing the next generation of anglers into the sport. So without further ado, here is my chat with Susan Thrasher. All right, we can just dive right in then. Um, okay, good deal. So yeah, I usually just start off by um, getting a little bit about your fishing background. how did you get started in fly fishing? 
Well, I've been fishing as long as I can remember, you know, with my dad. In fact, some of my earliest memories are of, of fishing with him. Um, but it wasn't until probably about um, a little over 20 years ago, uh, he asked me, I was living in Virginia Beach at the time, and he said, hey, next time you're home, which is East Tennessee is home, um, why don't, would you like to go fly fishing? And I said, yeah, I'll give it a try. And my dad's a re uh, retired pastor, and one of the guys from the church had said, you know, when Susan comes home, we'll take you out on the South Holston in Bristol and uh, give you a lesson, and, and we'll go. So I did it. And my dad, he's, he still tells me, he said, boy, you were, you were pretty bad that day. He said, I felt <laughs> sorry for you. Your casting was awful. His wasn't any better, but he just laughs about it now. But I stuck with it. And uh, even though I was slashing the water behind me and all, somehow I managed to catch a fish. And I've told this story before. I walked in the kitchen that night and my mother said, well, did you guys have fun? And I said, Today changed my life. I want to learn every single thing there is to learn about fly fishing. I said it, I just found it was so intriguing and you had to pay such close attention. And so anyway, that's what um, kicked off uh, um, many, many years following that of learning and then actually um, leaving one career and starting another. So it really did literally change my life. <laughs> wow. It, it sounds a, a bit river runs through it. Um, you know, with the, uh, with the preacher little, dad yeah, sure. and, and the, and the right, kids. Right. But. <laughs> so were you fishing for trout or, or what did you grow up fishing for? Yes. Uh -huh. Okay. I was in the South Holston um, River, which is a really nice tailwater there in the Tri-City area. Uh, Bristol's a twin city, so half of it's on Virginia and part of it's on Tennessee. And we lived on the Tennessee side for a while and my parents live on the Virginia side um, of Bristol now. But the South Holston is a really well-known trout stream in that area. That's fun. I've been hearing more and more people from the like the southeastern states talking about, you know, some pretty good trout fishing down there, even though it's not, I think, what most people think of when they think of trout streams. You know, that, that area yeah, of the country right. is not what comes to mind. Right. It, like, it's not a, um, a fly fishing destination, but we'll just call it, it's one of those hidden gems. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it might almost be better because as much as I've got yes. plenty of great trout water around here, I mean, there's people coming in all the time to come fish the fish the water and I almost wish it was a little less known yeah right so maybe we won't spread the word so much <laughs> well now everyone knows <laughs> and so you've been guiding now for how many years um I started the business in 2004 um so yeah so quite a while I can't believe that it's uh, already that long but um yeah I hung out the shingle in 2004 I was still working um, my full-time job, I was a um, uh, civil engineer and did that for many, many years. And so, um, yeah, I just, I got to a point where I really wanted to, to do the fly fishing guiding and instruction full-time. And, um, and so tried to come up with a plan on, on how I could do that and uh, was fortunate enough to do that about five years ago. And did you take any formal instruction to become the guide? Um, I did. I went through, um, I don't know if you've heard of uh, Real Women um, out in Victor, Idaho. Lorianne Murphy um, is the uh, uh, the founder of that. And she has, um, in, in fact, she's still doing this now, um, a program for, um, for guides that want to come through. It's a Real Women Guide School. And you can go for a week-long program and 
you know, basically if you're, if you don't know how to row a drift boat, they have drift boats available. You go through a class and learning how to row, you know, all the different, um, I guess guide etiquette, um, I go through the casting. Basically, if you want to learn to be a guide, that's a place to go because you can go through all the different aspects of it. And um, I mean, it really helped to, um, I guess, put me on the uh, the right track uh, when I got into or set my mind to the fact that that's what I wanted to do. And then also went through uh, the Wolf School of Fly Fishing. That's Joan Wolf School there in the um, Catskills mm-hmm. in Roscoe or Blue Beach, New York. And so I went through the, uh, the casting school and then went through the instructor school. And then I was fortunate enough to actually get on staff um, as an intern. And then, um, yeah, this will be my 15th year um, of actually teaching uh, there each spring. And so I was really fortunate with that. So I guess if I look back, um, my two, two true uh, mentors um, would be uh, Lorian Murphy and, and Joan Wolf, and so that's a pretty fortunate um, couple of people to have on either side of you. Oh yeah, for sure. It's <laughs> a good start. And I assume um, that that one you mentioned in Idaho, that's women only, based on the name. Uh, well, I know that they uh, in their guiding, um, you know, because it's an outfitter, and so it's men and women, and they do a lot of couple type things. But as far as the guide school, it was a women-only uh, okay. program when I went through it. Yes. Now, did you choose that deliberately because it was women-only? Well, I had um, I had been fishing out in the Middle Provo River in Salt Lake City, or just outside of Salt Lake. Um, it was in a little town called Heber City. And I happened to be in Salt Lake because as my previous job as a civil engineer, I had a project there. And it kept me out there traveling back and forth for about a year. And when I was fishing in the middle Provo, I ran into this fellow named Jim Smith, who actually I would say was my very first um, beginning uh, fly fishing mentor. And he really took a liking to me. And so each time I went out to the river, he showed me a little bit, you know, um, another technique or, you know, gave me some helpful tips and, one time during our um, session together, he said, have you ever heard of Lorian Murphy or of uh, Joan Wolf?" And I said, no, I hadn't. He said, well, you have to look them up because those are two of the best. And so after he said that, I just happened to be going out to Jackson Hole. So I called and booked a trip with Lorianne. And, you know, I bent her ear the whole day mm-hmm. on the drift boat, just saying, tell me everything you know. And that's when she said, if you really want to go and do this, you know, guide thing, then um, you should come out and go through the guide school. And so that's how that all turned out. Okay. Yeah. So, so just fate. <laughs> yes, it was. Absolutely. <laughs> no question about it. And so at what point did you decide that you wanted to write this book? So we can we can kind of dive into the book at this point. Um, I've got a copy sure. here so I can, yeah. I can reference if needed, but it's called Thrasher's Fly Fishing Guide. Um yes. And so what, what kind of inspired you to want to write the book? Well, um, to be honest with you, I had no intention or desire ever, ever to uh, write a book. Never wanted to. And I just happened to be at a, um, a fly fishing meeting. I was the speaker and, uh, in northern, um, at the um, um, Northern Kentucky Fly Fishers. And after the, the club meeting, this fellow walked up to me. Um, his name was Ron Ellis. And he said, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I said, nope, never. 
Um, I said, I've written a few articles, but yeah, I just really don't have any interest in doing that. And he said, well, I happen to have a friend that's a publisher. And if you stick around an extra day, I'll introduce you. He has a, a, um, a cot, like a bookstore that has a, a coffee shop associated with it. And they have great donuts. And I said, well, I'll stick around for the coffee and donuts. <laughs> and so I went the next morning and then the more they talked about it, um, I don't know. I was a little bit intrigued. And so, you know, I, but I think my, the, uh, the hesitancy I really had was there's so many great fly fishing books and, and stuff already out there. I thought, you know, what could I uh, possibly add, um, you know, that hasn't already been talked about. And I came up with the thought, um, I started, I co-founded a women's fly fishing club back in 2007 uh, here in Nashville called the Music City Fly Girls. And so I thought, well, maybe I could tell um, a story about all of our fly girls adventures and different trips that we have and then incorporate that into an actual instructional book as well. So each one of the chapters um, contains, you know, something about the way that I got started, a story about that. And then it just leads into the instructional piece of it. So that's how, how it started. And um, yeah, I, it just materialized into what you're holding, which is amazing to me. <laughs> and, and I really like that approach of kind of incorporating your own stories. Um, I think, you know, especially for people who at least have a little bit of a grasp on fly fishing and maybe they want to pick up the guide to just maybe learn a couple extra tips or some more advanced techniques. Uh, it can get a little dry just reading about things that um, are just plain instructional, uh, especially if you do know some of the basics already. So having that um, kind of narrative storyline throughout as well, where you kind of feel like you're connecting with your group and um, you as an author, I think that helps helps it flow more like an actual book that you want to read through instead of something you want to just consult when you need an answer to something. Oh, well, I'm glad you think that. I mean, that's that's the approach that I was trying to take. And I'm a big believer in having memory aids, you know, something that will mm -hmm. trigger um, or really stick in your mind. And so with each chapter, it seems like um, what I've tried to do is make it to where if you can't remember something about, you know, um, the size, let's say the size of your tippet is 3x larger or smaller than 7x. I try to give some memory aids or some story associated with it that you can kind of go back in your memory bank and say oh yeah that's the answer to that so mm -hmm. anyway and I'm hoping that the book will appeal not only to beginners and certainly not only to women I mean it's a book um, it's really a book for everyone so a beginner just starting out is going to learn a lot I, I believe um, even if you aren't a fly fisherman or even if you have no desire to be a fly fisherman, I think just um, some of the stories in there are pretty interesting and some could be entertaining. So even somebody that's not into fishing um, could enjoy it. And I do have um, a couple of chapters in there that I believe even the most advanced uh, fishermen could learn something as well. Yeah, you have some pretty fun topics too. I'm only, I think I'm, let me see where I am. I'm on like chapter five right now just reading through uh -huh. um, but I've, I've like glanced through it some of the other things you cover and you have some pretty fun sections like you know how to go to bat how to go to the bathroom outside if you've never done yes. it or you know how to go on a guided trip and, and tell the guide you need to take a pit stop and um, right and also uh I, I noticed that you've included a couple sections that are more about the 
um, the overall culture of fly fishing. Um, so it's not strictly here's how to cast, here's how to choose a line, here's the different types of flies. But there's some there's some sections like here's um, fly fishing etiquette or what to expect when you go on a guided trip, things like that that um, are more of like the soft skills, I guess, of fly fishing instead of the hardcore here's how you do it, which, like I said, I think a book full of nothing but that can get a little bit dry, especially if um, maybe you don't know anything about fly fishing and seeing a chart of line weights can kind of just turn you off. But having a little bit more of um, the content related to what's it like to fly fish, you know, who who are you going to meet when you fly fish? What how should you behave when you do it? Like those kinds of things, I think can keep people more engaged. If some of the hardcore technical aspects can get a little overwhelming at times. Yep, and I have to actually have to credit um, a lot of my clients for um, quite a bit of the subject matter because there were questions that would be asked that I knew that people were feeling like oh, I know that this is a dumb question. But we were like driving to, the, I'll give you an example. We were driving to, um, to go out to fish and one of my clients and good friends, her name's Susan Dahl. She's been out fishing with me many times. She said, I know that this is going to sound stupid, but I don't know what a tailwater is. I've heard the term tailwater and I've, you know, I, I, I freestone. I, I just don't know what some of those terms are. Can you, can you just go through and describe them? You know, a spring Creek and, and I thought, yes, I can do that. And then I got to thinking, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't know what that, that is. And so I dedicated a whole chapter just to that, you know, mm. talking about the various bodies of water. And um, so that was one example. But a lot of my clients have asked questions like that, that, like you said, are on more of the softer skills. But there's still questions. And sometimes people are, are kind of embarrassed to even ask, you know. I think everyone has one or two of those things that they it's kind of like when you meet someone at a party and they tell you their name but then you realize an hour later that you forget it but it's too late to ask and I feel like there's some of those in fly fishing where you've been doing it for a year and you've been hearing the same term but you're like I've never actually learned what that is but I feel embarrassed to admit that I've never actually bothered to learn what that is Um, for me for the longest time for me that was a point fly I didn't know what a point fly was but I didn't want to ask Um, right and I'm sure everybody has like one or two of those embarrassing things that they're just like it's too late I'm too I'm too far into this to admit that I don't know what this is um I noticed you have a glossary at the back which is also really helpful um because one of the things that I usually encourage people to do when they're first getting started is to learn a couple basic terms before you try to learn because if you try to dive into like a video or something like that and you don't know what the words they're using mean it's it's going to be kind of hard to follow along so i thought that was really helpful that you included that glossary so if people need to look up a term um some of it's slang and some of it's actual definitions of you know what is backing what is a fly line what is a leader things like that right well you know one of the things when i was putting the glossary together you know obviously i have things like you know uh tippet or hook bend or you know something that's um you know, an actual reference to either a piece of gear or Mm. something like that. But I got to thinking about the slang terms, like, you know, if you talk to a fisherman, a a fly fisherman, a non-fly fisherman, and you say, I'm going to go sling some meat, 
well, they're going to say, what? <laughs> what does that they, mean? They might hear so something bad. To, that's right. Yeah. I, so I decided, well, I'll go ahead and put in some of those terms, um, you know, <laughs> that we hear like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I also found funny about it. It's like I noticed what, like you had like tight lines in there, um, which obviously most fly fishermen know, know what that means. But you also have a, a definition after each one. And I just, it's funny reading through some of those you know, as someone who knows what they mean, because they're very basic. Like, this is what you say to somebody when you want to wish them good luck. And <laughs> it's just yes. it's just like a very basic for someone who knows what it means. It's a uh, it's kind of funny to read through, but I can totally see how it'd be useful to to a new. Right. Yeah. I tell you, one of the things in the chapters that um, I found uh, most challenging is that, you know, if you as you're learning, you'll hear different, I guess, definitions or concepts you know, um, so I guess it, that was one of the hardest things to approach, like what the true definition, you know, of maybe, um, uh, I don't know, a different type of a fly, you know, um, whether it's an imitative fly um, or, you know, a, a natural, you know, one that's, uh, you know, a real representation. And so there's so many different definitions and there's nothing, you know, some may be completely um, opposite of what you may have learned. And so trying to be able to capture it, um, I decided, well, I'm going to give what my best interpretation is, of that is. And then I think what happens is when you do that, then people will go out and try to find, okay, let me see if I can prove that person wrong, or let me see what the other, because I think that's what makes you a really, to me, a well-rounded um fly fisher is if you can look at um, all the different pieces and parts and the ways that that people teach. I happen to follow um, the uh, the Joan Wolf School of casting, but there are so many other great casters out there and styles, you know, Lefty Cray and others. And um, I think knowing all of those different types and techniques is just going to help make you a more uh, well-rounded fly fisher. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's kind of prevalent across, I'm just going to say like outdoor activities because, you know, I'm, that's what I'm most well-versed in. Um, but there's, there's sometimes almost a fear that, you know, I don't want to tell someone how to do something for fear that they take it as gospel and then they hear somewhere else, you know, a different way to do it. Um, and that's not just in fly fishing. Like I said, it's, it's all over the place. But um, that's another reason I actually like reading through books um, like this one, kind of like a 101 guide, because I like to um, kind of reaffirm things that I've thought because I do question myself. You know, you hear people who say things definitively, like this is the only way to do something. And, you know, then you go out, do something differently and still catch fish. And it, it makes you realize that just because someone said the only way to do, to, to rig a dry dropper is to do it this way. And then you try a different way and it still works. You know, the fish aren't reading these books and, and That's right. making sure that everyone's following the rules. Uh, so I do like reading through books like this, even though a lot of it may be basic because it just, it just confirms like, okay, that, you know, that seems like a solid piece of information that everyone has agreed on. Um, and then also just reading through a variety to see how people do disagree. Maybe you say, you know, here's the proper way to do something, but someone else says a different way yes. and neither one of you is necessarily wrong. It's just, you know, you have your different preferences and it's good to have that, you know, wide variety kind of diversify. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. In fact, on one of my chapters, it's on Euronymphing and there are so many different approaches, you know, to, um, to building a leader and a Euronymph um, leader. 
And I just, I make the comment, you know, there's not a Euro nymphing police out there. <laughs> so you can, whatever's going to work for you, you know, you can just, you can mix and match and, you know, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's really just a, a guide on to get you started and then you can customize it to however fits your needs. So Sure. And you know, there's people out there who really want to be the Euro nymphing police. Yeah, <laughs> probably so. You're probably right. <laughs> but yeah, I thought so. Um, if we if we're moving on toward kind of the main body of our conversation, uh, I think I think this would be a good time to do that because I think the the overall gist I got from your book, and I hope that that's come through so far in our conversation, is that it's just a very welcoming uh, book, especially for beginners. I know you said that you're not just targeting beginners, um, and that there's there's plenty of nuggets that you know more advanced anglers can can utilize, but. Um, it, it's still a very welcoming book. You, you wouldn't feel intimidated picking this up as a first timer and think that you're being talked down to, which I think is one of the big deterrents for people when they're first getting started is, you know, they get the suggestion, I need to walk into a fly shop and I'm going to be terrified because I have no idea what to ask. They're going to, they're going to think down on me. Um, and I think that this book is a good example of how to, um, kind of delicately present that information to someone who's new and make it seem fun and welcoming instead of, um, kind of a turnoff to the sport and and what we're hoping to talk about yeah. today is how to get beginners into fly fishing whether it's adults or children um, but I think that that's that's kind of a good segue um, talking about this mm-hmm. book because I think that's a good example of how to get people into it yes yeah okay um, great so yeah we can dive right in um, I don't know if you if you have anything that you wanted to start with um, if not I can just dive right in with some questions I had for you about about getting beginners into it well, I, I will start by saying, just like you said, uh, when people are, are first starting out, and I have people come to my beginning um, all-day class here, uh, we go from nine until three, and a lot of times when people first show up, even though it's a small group of six people that I'll take in the class, people seem nervous, you know, when they arrive, and one of the first things I try to do is to say, look, you know, the first time I ever went out, my dad said it was terrible, <laughs> and um, so... I just try and let them know, you know, I was at, I was at the exact same spot where they were and, you know, more, I just hate feeling intimidated by anything. And so if I can work with someone to, um, to be positive and reassuring and um, make them feel comfortable and, you know, that it's not going to matter if they get a tangled up mess the first few times they cast out. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that's what it's all about, you know. What do you think is is the the biggest reason that people are scared to try fly fishing, even if they've done other types of fishing before? Like, what do you think is that barrier? Is it, you know, being worried that people are going to judge them? Is it just the idea of the unknown? Like, what, what keeps people from giving it a try? I think it's, you know, fly fishing has, um, I think, maybe a little bit of a reputation for being kind of a snooty, um, wealthy persons, you know, uppity kind of, um, you know, a sport, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think in some, maybe it started out that way some, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of tradition, you know, that goes behind it. Maybe that's part of it. Um, but it certainly doesn't have to be that way, but I think, you know, that might be part of it. Um, and then anytime you're starting out with something new, uh, I think there's always a little bit of trepidation, you know, so. Sure. Do you think it's getting better with that kind of um, uppity mentality, the snooty, snooty personality of, 
of fly fishermen that we have the reputation of like do you think that's getting better um from the perception of someone who does not fly fish like do you think that um with more women getting involved and other minorities and kids um and kind of that there's been a push over the past couple of years i think to get more people involved not just the the stereotypical old white guy um i think so okay because i i believe what's happened is there's a lot of fly shops now that realize um, that that women are really going to be um, and have become, you know, a, a big part of their market. And so, you, you know, if you're going to sell to um, to a big part of that emerging market, uh, you aren't going to just ignore them when they come in or make mm-hmm. them feel stupid. So so in that regard, I think that it is getting better. Uh, that they are trying to be more welcoming. I have definitely seen a difference uh, when I've gone into shops. You know, when I'm out of town and someone has no clue who I am and I just walk in, um, there have been times where I was, you know, in the past where I was just completely ignored and I could feel it and tell it. And I thought, wow, that's, you know, that is not the way to do business. But I felt confident enough in my skills at that point, you know, it just was an aggravation <laughs> that I couldn't right. believe and you know that they were they were acting that way and not they wouldn't get the sale but um since then boy I have found um I have just found that folks have really bent over backwards to help out and then they get really excited when they know oh you already know a little bit about you know fishing and then they just want to talk and and then sometimes they're talking so much, it's hard to get any shopping done. <laughs> <laughs> so either so. way, the sale might not happen, but, but one's for a good reason. <laughs> yeah, but actually, I, I, it's a very good point, and I think things have definitely gotten um, a lot better. You can still go to parts of the country where there is still a lot of snootiness, <laughs> but that's the case with anything, right? Oh, sure, yeah. And one thing I've heard, um, this is, I heard it in regards to the hunting industry, but I'm sure it applies to fly fishing as well or, or fishing in general is that um, the benefit of getting more women into the sport, because they always talk about, you know, we need to get more women into the sport. And there's there's kind of a question like, well, why do we need to? You know, um, we should be welcoming to whoever wants to do it. But is there any real benefit to, you know, trying to force the stats to kind of align better between men and women? Um, but within the hunting industry, they, they've talked about how when, when dad hunts, it's often just dad going hunting. But when mom hunts, the whole family goes, you know, it becomes, it Mm. becomes a family activity. And I could see the same thing being true for fishing, where if, if dad fishes, not that he, you know, not trying to say that men will never take their kids or anything. Um, but if mom fishes suddenly it's, Hey everyone, let's go to the park together and like go fishing. It becomes a family activity instead of, instead of someone just going off by themselves. Um, so I could see that being a, a real benefit to getting more women specifically involved in fly fishing. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a good point. Um, do you have any tips, specific tips for someone who is uh, just getting started and maybe doesn't know where to start or or does feel intimidated by that snootiness that may be perceived? Um, sure. So I offer um, gift certificates. Um, and a lot of times at Christmas or birthdays or whatever, you know, people will call and say, um, you know, they want to get a gift certificate for someone. And did I have any ideas of maybe um, should it should it be a guide trip? Should it be um, a casting lesson? You know, what what should it be? And so I always tell them, you know, of course, I would love to take them on a guided trip. But I think that they're going to get the um, the most benefit if they go through a lesson first. 
because otherwise you're going to spend a big part of your time on the boat or even, you know, on a wade trip, um, learning some of the basics. And mm -hmm. if you just take an hour or two um, out by a casting pond and you learn a little bit, you know, about the terms, you learn a little bit about casting, then um, just that little bit of time that you spend in advance of your trip, you're going to have a much, much better time. So I always recommend when they say, you know, where do you want to start? I always recommend just taking a class. If you can, you know, take a lesson or a class first, and you're just going to have a much more enjoyable time when you go out on, um, for your actual guided trip. Yeah, I agree. I know that a lot of guys, well, most guides are, are more than willing to take someone who's new to fly fishing on a guided trip. But like you said, if you, you know, if you're spending 500 bucks to go out for the full day, plus a tip, you don't want to be spending, you know, seven of your eight hours just learning to get the fly on the water when, you know, the yes. whole reasons to catch fish. I learned in a, in a grassy yard. And I think that's a great mm -hmm. place for people to start because there's, there's no distraction of, I, I need to catch a fish right now. Cause there are no fish. Your, your yeah. sole focus is to cast the rod. I think that like that was very beneficial to me, I think, um, to start not even on the water. Right. And I always um, I tell folks, too, you know, they're anxious to go out and buy their equipment right away. And, you know, I tell people um, it's so much better if you can either go through a class or um, if you can't go through a class, go ahead and go on your trip. But don't buy all of your gear ahead of time. You know, use whatever the guide has. Or go through a class where, like in my own classes, I let people try out. That's one of the uh, the sessions um, that I have scheduled within the school is you're able to try out different weight rods and uh, for different conditions. Like I have a rod that you would use if you're fishing up in the Smoky Mountains. That's a lighter weight rod to a mid-level uh, size rod, five or a six weight. And then an ocean um, saltwater type for you know larger fish, maybe a 10 weight. And so they're able to feel the different grip sizes, um, the different flexes of the rods. Because I've had some people that have shown up um, for a class and they went out to, you know, wherever and, and bought a rod. And it was an eight weight rod, but they're going to do most of their fishing just in some small ponds and um, small rivers. Well, that's way too much, you know, for of an mm -hmm. eight weight rod to have to do that. But they didn't know any better. Um, so I always tell folks, you know, wait until you know a little bit about the equipment and what you should get uh, before you go right out and, um, and purchase it. Now, what about for somebody who is not necessarily ready to drop a bunch of money on a guided trip? Like say somebody does want to kind of practice on their own first, maybe using like books or online resources. Do you have any recommendations of, of where someone might go and maybe the equipment that they, because at that point they would need to provide their own gear. Um, maybe some recommendations on where they would get their lessons and then what gear they would um, want to start with if they did just want to pick up a rod and maybe try casting in their backyard. Um, I would say if you're looking for, for a, um, an instructor, the first place that you can go is um, the Federation of Fly Fishers, FFI. You can take a look there, and that's, um, you know, you're going to have a, a certified casting instructors. And so, um, uh, and I can give you the information if you want to have that, you know, for your listeners. But they're listed by state and in the area where you are, so you know that you're getting a guide that's gone through the rigor you know, of, um, of the casting. Um, so you could look up, um, a, a certified caster that way, uh, to start out. And then, um, as far as, uh, um, recommendations, I think looking at the beginning, instead of dropping a lot of money, you know, for a rod and reel, 
there are some really great quality products that are out there and packages. You know, if you try to piecemeal and buy the rod, then you buy the reel and then you've got to look at getting the backing on and then the line on and your leader and your tippet. If you look at getting an all together package, there's some really great ones out there. I know, of course, um, Orvis has um, a starter uh, package. Uh, Temple Fork has that. Um, there's a, um, a company that I really enjoy working with that's um, out of Charlotte, um, Charlottesville, Virginia, Moonshine Rods. Um, I'm a big fan of Moonshine. Uh, Reddington has a really terrific package. So there are packages that you, you know, that you can get um, in your local shops or online uh, that come already assembled. Everything's there in the package. And then, um, and then you can just go through the class and um, understand what you're doing and go out and fish. Now, if um, if you don't have access, um, of course, you know, I'm going to recommend Joan Wolf's um, DVD. She has a, a terrific DVD that you can start from the very beginning and learn everything from how to hold the rod, you know, the grip um, and and just how to cast. And she does step by step where if you don't get it all, you know, you can go back you know, to the first part of it and, and rewatch it. And I can tell you when I first started out, I watched it over and over and over. So I can't recommend that one, you know, highly enough. So those are some of the first things I would suggest. And one of the great things about fly fishing in particular is, like you said, those those um, kind of pre-spooled combos. You know, it's it's not like other, I mean, I'm sure there's other things out there like it, but there's, it's not that you spend a little bit of money and you get something that's eh, not the best, and then it breaks after a year, and then you have to spend a bunch more money to upgrade. You know, I've, I've bought several of those combos, and I still use them all the time. Like, a, a fly rod, there are better quality fly rods and lower quality fly rods, but at the end of the day, those lower quality fly rods will still catch fish, and they're not going to just yes. break and fall apart because they're, they only cost $200 instead of $1,000. Um, so it's not, it's not the same as some other hobbies where you might need to drop all the money once and get the right product it's it's really doable to actually only spend a little bit of money and still get something that even once you're ready to upgrade you're still going to be able to keep that original product and continue to use it it's not going to fall apart oh, yeah um and stop working and you yeah know, like you said the last exactly thing right the last thing you need when you're learning is like how to need to tie a nail knot to attach your backing to your fly lining you're <laughs> you're just feeling so overwhelmed it's like that's not what you need that's the right. first day out yeah, that's exactly right. And most of the most of those packages actually come with a warranty. And, you know, you can get I would say for not not much more than $200 and sometimes under 200, you can get a really nice package with everything that you need to get you going. So, mm-hmm. that's really not bad. Yeah, for sure. It's all things considered, it's it's not that expensive to get into. It's expensive when you're when you're you know you want to keep doing it and suddenly you want to buy everything you see but that's right you can get started easily for under two hundred dollars with everything you'll need to go start fishing in your local pond yes and i have people ask me all the time especially after the class okay i love it i love this day i'm into it i'm definitely hooked now what do i do and i have written this out so many times in emails for people i decided i'm going to put it in a chapter in a book (laughs) and this is what you absolutely need you know, to get started. Uh, so there's must haves and then there's a whole lot of, I just want to have it. Right. right. <laughs> so, um, like with everything. 
so I tried to really be specific on, on the must-haves. You know, obviously you need the, the rod and the reel and your fly line. But then uh, just for those accessories, you know, there's some things that you absolutely have to have. You don't want to use your teeth to break out the line. You need some nippers. Maybe that can be, you know, just some fingernail clippers, but you absolutely have to have that. So those kind of things I've tried to go through in detail in the book. Mm-hmm. Versus the the nice to have, so like, you know, a fly box is nice, but at the end of the day, um, I don't know if it was you in your book or if maybe I just read it recently that, you know, you can use an Altoids container to, to yep, just carry your flies. Yeah, that was me. I okay. said that. <laughs> and I've, I've, I've put them on wine corks as well, and those, those that work pretty well. <laughs> and, and plus you get the wine, you know, That's kill two right. birds with one stone. <laughs> That's exactly it. That's right. But you definitely don't need a tippet gauge. You right. know, it's not a, a must-have. So. <laughs> I don't. I still don't have a tippet gauge. I just, I just eyeball it. There's some things I just don't want to carry around. I gotta, That's right. I like to, I like to keep it a little bit minimalist. So at least when I do get more things, I can get more fly boxes and stuff like that. All right. <laughs> Got to prioritize. <laughs> well, on the flip side, do you have any tips um, for someone who's looking to help other people get into fly fishing? So this has been more of a if you want to get started hear the resources you need but one other challenging thing is you know maybe you've got some friends you want to take out but you know you as a guide I I think guiding is maybe 30% actually knowing how to catch fish and 70% knowing how to show others a good time um, convey information well Uh, using your experience as a guide what would you say to someone who really wants to get their friends involved and, and wants to make sure their friends have a good time and actually come out learning something instead of just being frustrated and throwing their rod on the ground and never wanting to go again? Well, I would say if it's a husband and wife, spouses just um, really shouldn't teach each other, Um, (laughs) you know, or even honestly, parents and kids, it can, you can get so frustrated. And it seems like I've noticed this even with kids that, um, I mean, you definitely have to have patience and, you know, you can, it's easy to lose patience with, with people that you really love, you know, for whatever right. reason that is, you know, but if they actually go to an instructor, um, uh, you know, at least first, then you can help them out afterwards. But if you're bound and determined and you really think that you can do it, if you start to see people's eyes glazing over, just leave them alone for a little while, you know, let them do something else or, you know, especially a kid, you know, if you can't expect to, um, be teaching them for two hours. If it's really hot or really cold, you just have to make sure, you know, just to, uh, to let them, let them loose. The other thing is if you, if you are going to take them fishing, I would say start out at a, um, a farm pond or maybe at, at a lake in a cove where you could catch a lot of bluegill. I've taken a lot of, um, beginners out and they, they caught bluegill all day long and they were really, really hooked. And it's a great way to start, um, once you start to feel, you know, the, the wiggle of the fish on the line, uh, that's what's going to catch you. And then you just want to, you know, continue on. And then the next thing is you want to try trout and then you want to try some other species. But definitely um, starting out with bluegill because you can put a strike indicator and, and a simple fly and cast it out there. And they're going to get the feel for, for um, how to fish um, under an indicator. Um, bluegill will also take um, woolly buggers. And you know different types of streamers, so you can show them the technique of um, how to strip in um, a streamer. And they'll also take dry flies. So there are all three techniques in in um, fly fishing, from dry fly fishing to fishing an under indicator with um, with nymphs to streamers. You know you can teach a beginner and do it with um, with bluegill. 
And so that would be my biggest recommendation, you know, right there is to, to start them off easy and where they're going to catch something. Oh, sure. I could not agree more. And talk about a fish that pulls above its weight. You know, the number of times yeah, like, exactly. I've, I'm like, oh, I've got a monster on and then it's like a four inch bluegill. And I, I like I thought right. I had a bass on because they they pull so hard for how small they are. It's yeah, that's it's right. Really hard to get sick of catching them. <laughs> that's right. I have a pond right here at my fly fishing school. And um, when I'm out here, I go out just about every day and they may only be a, the size of my hand. I just don't ever get tired of it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I love the tug. <laughs> they are so scrappy and um, you can you can sight fish for them a lot of the time, too, which is fun. You know, there's some places yes, that you can sight fish right. for trout, but you kind of have to, you know, if you're sight fishing for trout, the, the downside is they can probably see you, too. And whether bluegill yeah. can see you or not, they don't care. They, <laughs> they just want to eat yeah. what you're throwing and they want to eat whatever yeah. you're throwing. Yeah. So, yeah. Any any other tips for um, you know, maybe someone who's getting frustrated with their with their casting and just is not getting it. Maybe someone who grew up spin fishing and they're having problems getting used to the idea of a back cast versus a forward cast, and and they're just getting really frustrated with their casting. Um. Well, I would say especially if it's a younger kid, um, or someone that just doesn't seem to be getting it. Um. I I really think a Tinkara rod um, is a, is a really great way to start because you don't have to worry about a a Tinkara for some that don't know. Um, It doesn't have a reel. I mean, it's definitely, it's a fly rod, but it's just a, um, a little tip that comes out of the tip top of the rod called a Lillian. And then you have a leader attached to that. So it's very, um, it's the most simple of any kind of fly fishing setup that you could have. And so starting somebody out, like that like if they just want to go out and catch fish um that's a great way to get them started especially um a kid right at the beginning um and then if they're really having trouble um once they step up again to the um uh, to the cast uh with a with a reel and everything maybe instead of using their left hand just tucking the line under their the finger of their right hand so all they're casting is just the line one set length of line and then they don't have to worry about getting the line tangled up all around them. Um, so I don't know. Those are those are just a few little tips. But definitely getting some professional instruction, even if it's just for one hour. I mean, like Orvis has a free um, casting clinic. You know, they have several sessions throughout the year. Uh, so if money is an issue, then, you know, just go to get a free one <laughs> at Orvis or take a look at some of the um, the different vocational type um or outside of uh, the school type um, catalogs, you know, that offer uh, different, um, I don't know, basket weaving and, you know, things like that. They do have fly fishing classes, so you can go through something like that as well. Yeah, I think the benefit to something like that is it, it kind of does take a little bit of the um, just worried about embarrassing yourself in front of somebody. You know, I, I think when you, like, say you go into a fly shop, because a lot of people recommend going into a fly shop when you're wanting to get started. And I can see people's hesitation about doing that because if you go in, you don't even know what to ask. You you start to feel embarrassed, you feel self-conscious. But if you're going to a class with a couple other people who are also beginners, like what is there to be embarrassed about? You're obviously there to learn. Everyone else is there to learn. The only person who is going to know anything is the instructor and they know that they're there to teach you. So it kind of takes yes. a little bit of that, that embarrassment out of it. Um, so you can just right. focus on getting better. That's right. And, you know, some are even intimidated about going out on their first guided trip without knowing anything. I've had people do that. Um, You know, they'll get in the boat and I can see they're just really, really nervous. And it takes a a little bit of time 
to calm them down and to realize I'm not going to throw them off the boat if they <laughs> throw a bad cast or, or a tangle or whatever. So, but I, it, you're exactly right. Um, I think going uh, maybe, well, it depends on the shop too. Um, you know, if they do have some casting instruction that they offer, but um, maybe calling the shop ahead of time and just saying, look, I'm a beginner. You know, what do you do for beginners? You know, do you have anything specifically that's offered or do you have a guide that you can recommend that's um, really good with the beginners? You know, those are some good questions even to ask a fly shop um, because if they know that you're a beginner and that um, that you're a little bit nervous about it, don't hesitate to say, you know, I'm a little anxious about going. Can you put me with a guide that, you know, is a little more patient and understanding? And um, and a fly shop owner, owner is going to um, to take that to heart um, most well and, and put you together with somebody that they think that you'll really enjoy. And, you know, there's there's some guides, too, that that really prefer beginners. Um, like I, I guided for a couple of years a while back and I, I preferred taking beginners out because I know that their expectations are, I just want to have a good time and learn something. And honestly, that, that felt like less pressure to me. Cause I'm like, I can guarantee that you'll learn something. I can't guarantee that the fish are going to be biting today. That's so, right. <laughs> so if I had someone who's been like, Oh, I've traveled all over the world fishing. And I'm like, well, you know, now I'm trying to fill these giant shoes of, of the guides that have come yes. before me and, and I want to make sure you catch fish, but someone who's a beginner, you know, if, if they come out knowing yes, how to fly fish right. and maybe maybe they catch a couple you know i can i can guarantee that i like i like being able to guarantee something yes. and and so there's there's yeah. probably many guides that's a really good day <laughs> yep oh the the best words that a guide can hear at the beginning of the day is you know what i'm really here to soak up as much as i can to learn i really don't care if i catch any fish it would be nice but i really don't care so all i want to do is learn and then it's like okay <laughs> yeah music to my ears <laughs> that's right <laughs> do you have any um tips on specifically getting kids into fishing and not necessarily specifically yours but just um how to make how to make it fun for for kids to the point where they they want to they want to go again because i, I know it's it can be yeah. hard with short attention spans and you know maybe the kids don't initially want to be there too much but any any tips for keeping kids engaged and and getting them to want to come back for more. Yeah, sure. Um, so again, uh, bluegill, I can't just stress that enough, <laughs> you know, taking a kid out to um, a pond or, or something to catch bluegill. And, but if you can't do that and you are going to go trout fishing, you know, maybe even um, taking, um, taking traditional um, conventional gear. Uh, so if they aren't really getting it um, right away with the fly rod, you know, just taking a single hook with a, um, I can't even believe I'm saying with a worm or a piece of corn, but if you really are wanting to keep them engaged, you know, right at the beginning, you know, that, that might be a, a way just to get them off on, on the right foot, um, mm -hmm. you know, of catching something and not to get bored. They actually want to feel the tug. I don't see anything wrong with, with that at all. Um, but again, taking them to a pond um, and, you know, starting out using a tinkara, like I said, um, or just the right, just having the line under their fingers so they aren't having to, to deal with all the line coming up around uh, around their heads. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing could be um, if you're if you're wanting to go on a float, maybe in a tandem kayak, you know, and having a kid in the in the boat with you in the in the kayak. So if they get tired of of casting or fishing, you know, there's always just floating. I mean, that that's always a fun thing to do. 
Um, I know here at my school, I have a pond and uh, I keep a kayak um, out next to the pond. So if I am teaching a kid and I can tell they're starting to glaze over and maybe I have them for the whole day, um, which has happened, (laughs) you know, people have (laughs) dropped them off and said, teach them for the day. Then if I can tell they're getting bored or they aren't having, you know, they're okay. They've had enough of the teaching. I'll stick them in the kayak and, you know, let's paddle around the pond for a while. And that gets them really excited. Then mm. we can go back to starting the cast again. So sure. little, if you just do it in little chunks, you know, don't take a kid out for the entire day and expect that they're going to love it the entire time. They got to build up into it. So. Right. And I mean, there might be kids who just want to play with sticks and rocks, but if you let them do that and they associate, Hey, I went fishing. I had a great time. Like I didn't do much yeah. fishing, but I had a great time fishing. Cause I got to play with sticks and rocks. Then they might be more likely to, to want to go back and same with floating. You know, if they associate when I go fishing, I get to play in the water and float and you know, they're going to have a, a good, um, a good memory of it. Well, and if you're, um, if you're an experienced fisherman and you're trying to get your child into it, one thing that you could take is um, a few vials along with you that uh, little, just some bottles, and maybe spend some time uh, flipping over rocks, collecting, you know, some mayfly nymphs or stoneflies, you know, just starting to um, collect some of those bugs, take them home. And especially if you're a fly tire, you know, go through and show the different, um, the bugs that they have collected throughout the day and how they relate to the different flies. And I think having a knowledge of why you're using what fly you are, of course, that goes for for any fly fisher, but especially Mm -hmm. a kid that wants to flip over the rocks and look for bugs. That's really going to be helpful. Oh, yeah, because I mean, for adults, it's going to be useful for the for the flies, but for the kids, even just entertaining them, you know, they might be picking up completely irrelevant bugs. But, you know, as long as they're having fun. Right, exactly. Going back to what you said about the Tankara rod, I think another good point on that is that um, the Tenkara rod is usually a telescoping rod, so it folds down basically to the size of, it can fit in your pocket. Um, so you could even encourage people who don't even really like to fish, but they, you know, maybe they like to hike and you're like, Hey, all you have to do is throw this in your backpack. Um, it's not going to add yes. very much weight at all. You can still go hiking. And then if you happen to see something that you want to take a couple casts, you can do that, but you don't have to suddenly decide you're going on a fishing trip, which might be a little you know, overwhelming to someone who has never fished before. They're like, I'm not sure if I want to spend my weekend doing something that I'm not sure if I'll like. I don't want to hike way back in to and carry all this gear that I'm not sure if I'm going to enjoy it. But it's pretty easy to convince someone to throw a tank car rod in their backpack because it weighs next to nothing. And now they can do whatever they were going to do anyway. But now if they happen to see a stream or a pond that they want to fish, they can just whip that out, take a couple casts and then, you know, continue on their way. It is the absolute perfect travel rod for that kind of thing, you know, for sure. Camping and, and uh, backpacking, because you're right, it doesn't take a whole lot of room. And you don't have to carry your whole vest or anything. You just have to have a couple little, pe- you know, a few flies and maybe some fingernail clippers and that's right. it. <laughs> any, uh, any advice on sharing etiquette with people who are first getting started? Because I think that's something that might be overlooked when someone's first getting started that, you know, it's not their fault, but they're, they're not aware of, of what sort of etiquette is kind of agreed upon on the water. Yes. Um, well, like with uh, conventional fishing, you could come, you know, and stand shoulder to shoulder with somebody, you know, and start fishing. And with fly fishing, you have to give space. And so the best thing to do is, you know, if you're, if you walk up to the stream and you're just getting started and somebody's standing in the water, you know, definitely speak and say hello and just say, you know, you're getting ready to fish and 
you know, do they mind if that you go upstream or downstream or, you know, do they have a preference? Most people are going to say, no, just jump in, you know, the water's fine, you know, do it. That's fine. But you may have someone that, you know, they, they have their eyes set on this very next ripple and they've been, you know, looking at it for the last 15 minutes, making their way down to that ripple. And if you jump right in in front of them, it's just going to be aggravating, but you wouldn't have known that. But if you ask the question, um, you know, then it, it's, I just think it's just being polite, you know? Right. Um, so that, that's the first thing. If you, um, I think if you're, if you're kayaking and, and fishing and you come upon a, a fly fisherman, uh, definitely ask, you know, would you rather I go in front of you or behind you? Again, just, you know, basic politeness. Um, you know, if you're, if you've got your fly rod in, in the, um, in with you, you aren't going to want to cast right at the person as you float by, you know, pull in your line. And um, I mean, that's just, it's just basic um, courtesy. The other thing that I found is um, keeping the numbers to yourself. I mean, there's nothing more discouraging than you've been working all day. And I mean, you've done as much as you can and, and um, you've, you've thrown, thrown every fly you can think of and maybe you've only come away with one and you walk by somebody else and, hey, how'd you do today? I caught 56. Well, there's nothing more deflating. <laughs> and especially if you've got clients with you that are brand new beginners and the fact that they both caught one in your mind as a guide is absolutely miraculous. <laughs> they were really having a hard time struggling. And it was really wonderful that they each caught one. But then you go by somebody and they're like, oh, yeah, it was a killer day. I caught, you know, I lost count. It was over 100. Well, that makes all three of you feel bad right? <laughs> where before you had a great day because you at least caught one. So I think keeping the numbers to yourself, um, I don't know. And just, you know, saying you had a great day, <laughs> period. Right. Yeah. Maybe like, oh, yeah, I caught a couple. It's a beautiful day out here. You know, great to be out or something like that is a yeah. little it's, it's encouraging without being a little braggy, I guess. That's right. <laughs> And obviously pick up your trash, you know, the last thing you want to see is, um, you know, an empty liter, um, the envelope floating through the water or, you know, just, just remember, pick up your trash. It's amazing that we even have to say that, but you know, it's a good thing to do. Yeah. I was talking, I don't know who I was talking to recently and we were noticing how, uh, for some reason, all the Bud Light drinkers tend to throw their cans, but none of the yeah. craft beer drinkers do. I don't know. <laughs> there's, there's some sort right. of correlation there something? with the, with the Bud Light drinkers. And I think the Miller yeah. Light drinkers too, all like to throw their cans. <laughs> <laughs> for whatever reason, it's true. <laughs> uh, well, do you want to, um, just end by again, plugging your book and, and where anyone can come find you if they want to come on a guided trip with you? or if they want to buy the book, or I know you talked about, you know, this, I don't know when this is going to air, but right, right now when we're recording, the coronavirus is kind of, you know, rampaging through the world. And you talked about maybe doing some virtual classes if, if people aren't, are, are a little hesitant about actually coming to meet up with somebody. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, right now the business is basically shut down for in-person guided trips or, or casting classes, basically just in trying to keep with you know, what the policies are right now, even though with all good intention, you want to stay six feet apart of a client, inevitably, you're going to have to change their leader, you're going yeah. to have to change their fly, you got the lunch. So it just doesn't make sense. So out of right. safety concerns, I'm not doing that. But I am offering on my website, um, uh, virtual classrooms. And so for an hour, it's 40 bucks an hour. 
Um, I have things set up like, you know, how to tie the, you, the absolute knots that you have, you know, from loop to loop connections, the blood knots, surgeon's knots, um, tying a, a dry and a dropper, all the different knots you'd need to learn. Um, that's, believe it or not, you can fill an entire hour with just that mm -hmm. and, and then some. But, um, uh, you know, if you ever wanted to build a, a Euro nymphing um, leader and just, you know, have questions about the setup, what is Euro nymphing and, you know, how would I even get started? Or I just want to get started in fly fishing. How do I, how do I begin with that? You know, and just going through a listing. And so there's all kinds of things you can do virtually. Uh, so I am offering that. My, um, my business is called Southern Brookies. And so my um, Facebook page is Southern Brookies. My Instagram is Southern Brookies. Um, my website is Southern Brookies. So if you just Google it, you're going to find um, all of those things. So not, not hard to find. Uh, that's right. And the book is supposed to be out um, May 12th. Um, hopefully it'll make that schedule. But um, it's already out there for pre-order. Um, if you just Google it, um, Thrasher's uh, Fly Fishing Guide. And, um, and you'll be able to find it through a bunch of different outlets, uh, or you can wait and, um, and just get it at your local shop. Mm -hmm. And I know we, we talked briefly about this at the beginning before we started recording, but, um, I'm not sure when this episode is going to air, but, uh, there have been some issues with some of these book releases with the coronavirus going around, um, where they're getting delayed. So by the time this episode comes out, I think there's a good chance that even if it does get pushed back, that it it might still be coming out right around the time this airs. But obviously, you know, it, it doesn't sound like it'd be hard to find out updates. Just if you if you just Google the title of the book or That's or right. your name, you could probably find out whether the book was actually released in May or if they had to push it back. Um, but either way, I'm sure you could find it and and get your name That's on right. the list. Yes. Yep. I'm hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we all are. I, I think we're ready for this yeah. to start to wind down soon. But Yes. Um, yes. Right now, we just have to do the best we can and, and hope for the best. Keep the faith. That's right. right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Susan. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I think yeah, you dropped a lot of good nuggets for people who are either looking to get started themselves or looking to get someone else started. Okay. Wonderful. Well, thanks for having me. All right. Yeah, it's great talking to you. All right. And that is all. As always, if you liked what you heard, I'd love for you to go over to Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to podcasts and subscribe there. Uh, if you've got a couple extra minutes, a rating or review would also be much appreciated. It doesn't take too long, and it makes a big difference on my end. You can also find all my episodes on fishuntamed.com in addition to fly fishing articles every two weeks. And you can find me on social media under my name, Katie Burgert, on Go Wild or at Fish Untamed on Instagram. I will see you all back here in two weeks. Bye, everyone.